0: 2022 marks the 35-year anniversary of the signing of the Montreal Protocol, the only United Nations treaty to be ratified by every single member state. Former Secretary General Kofi Annan even called it, quote, perhaps the single most successful international agreement to date, end quote. But what exactly is the Montreal Protocol? This landmark document was an international effort to address one of the greatest environmental crises of the 20th century, the depletion of the ozone layer. The depletion of the ozone layer commanded media attention, galvanized cooperative government responses, and captured the public interest. But despite this focus, we don't hear much about the ozone layer these days. Did we, well, did we save the ozone layer? And if so, could we also save the environmental crisis of the 21st century, climate change? You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening. To Tara.
1: Tara.
0: Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Sonic Patel.
1: And I'm Hannah Cunningham. We will be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news and storytelling. This week, we delve into the ozone layer depletion, why it happened, how we responded, and how it parallels the response to the climate crisis.
0: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was written and produced in both Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territory. We broadcast from Amiskwichi, Wisconsin. Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. We broadcast from unrecognized Papaschist Cree territory. The Papaschist Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials like Frank Oliver to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty rights to this territory and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton.
1: Not confined to history, this region is also the present homelands of many First Peoples who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on.
0: The story of the ozone layer is one of scientific discovery and also of significant scientific disregard. As we talk about how science was used and ignored with the ozone layer depletion, we ask that you think about which ways of knowing are and are not being considered and acted upon in addressing environmental crises facing us and how that affects the effectiveness and equity of environmental actions.
1: Let's start by reviewing the science. What is the ozone layer?
0: Ozone is a molecule with three atoms of oxygen joined together. Normally ozone forms in pairs, or O2, but when O2 is hit by ultraviolet, or UV light, it can rearrange to form O3, or ozone.
1: The ozone layer is a region of the atmosphere where there is a concentration of ozone particles. This layer is between 15 to 35 kilometers above the surface of the Earth, in a part of the atmosphere called the stratosphere.
0: The ozone layer is thicker towards the poles, and thinner at the equator. The thickness of the ozone layer also varies seasonally.
1: But even though it's called the ozone layer, the actual molecule ozone is not very common in the stratosphere. Out of a million particles in the ozone layer, only about 10 would be ozone. But this is still more than 10 times higher than the ozone concentration in the rest of the atmosphere.
0: It's very important to distinguish between atmospheric ozone and ozone produced at the ground level, which is an air pollutant and can be very harmful to the lungs of humans and animals.
1: But atmospheric ozone is actually critical to the well being of people, animals, and plants across the planet. That is because the ozone layer helps block ultraviolet light from reaching the surface.
0: The sun, you know, that big nuclear reactor in the sky, produces a lot of energy in various forms. Some of this is visible light, which, as you might expect, lets us see. But some of the energy is outside of the spectrum that we can see. And one type of non-visible radiation produced by the sun is ultraviolet or UV
1: light. UV light can cause significant damage to people, UV light causes sunburns and cataracts. UV light also causes skin cancer and melanoma, which are deadly illnesses.
0: UV light also causes significant environmental effects, as it can harm the development of plants, including crops, potentially creating food insecurity. Exposure to UV light can also create reproductive issues in fish and crabs but the most significant threat to marine ecosystems is the way that UV radiation affects phytoplankton, a microscopic marine algae that is the basis for most marine
1: ecosystems. Ozone absorbs most UV light, preventing it from reaching the surface and causing all of those impacts, and is pretty critical to the survival of humans and non-humans on planet Earth. So you might imagine the environmental crisis that is the thinning of said ozone layer.
0: 1980s, Antarctica. The survey instruments of the British Antarctic Survey helped the National Research Institute conduct polar science. Included among these is spectrophotometers, a device that measures the intensity of light to determine the concentration of certain molecules. Reviewing and digitizing the spectrophotometer data is scientist Jonathan Shanklin, who noticed a diminishing trend in ozone concentrations. At first, the other researchers at the survey did not believe this data trend.
1: By this point, other scientists had suggested concerns about the diminishing ozone layer. A landmark paper from 1974 by Sherry Rowland and Mario Molina suggested that a chemical called chlorofluorocarbons destroy atmospheric ozone.
0: Earlier, we mentioned that the ozone layer isn't stable and varies seasonally and by geography. That's because there isn't a fixed amount of ozone in the ozone layer. Rather, oxygen atoms cycle between oxygen gas, O2, and ozone, O3. This cycle forms a balance of ozone and oxygen gas in the atmosphere. But some substances can catalyze the reaction that causes ozone to break down and become oxygen gas. Disrupting the balance of ozone and oxygen gas towards the destruction of more ozone.
1: Chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, as we are now going to call them because I can no longer say chlorofluorocarbon anymore, is an ozone-depleting substance. The chlorine atom is a free radical catalyst, which is also the name of my punk rock band, that causes the depletion of ozone.
0: Each radical atom can cause a chain reaction That can catalyze the breakdown of over a hundred thousand ozone molecules.
1: With the knowledge of an environmental crisis on the horizon, Roland pushed the results of his study to the public and governments with one solution in mind: CFCs should be banned.
0: The problem: CFCs are a common industrial product. They were used for aerosol sprays, home insulation, and refrigerants, among other uses. CFCs were a multi-billion dollar industry, and this industry was not going to take this science lying down.
1: The industry challenged the findings, claiming that there was no evidence of CFCs damaging the ozone layer. One aerosol firm president even claimed that the study was industrial sabotage from the KGB.
0: Roland was dogged by the industry, challenging his results and finding himself blacklisted from professional events.
1: If that sounds familiar, it's because we can immediately see some parallels to the climate crisis. Early work in the 1900s suggested a possible connection between fossil fuel greenhouse gas emissions and a changing climate. Over the next century, industry-funded organizations like the Global Climate Coalition and the George C. Marshall Institute sought to spread doubt about this connection. And similarly, the deniers took to attacking climate scientists themselves and pushing conspiracy theories. And once again, anti-environmental think tanks sought to tie climate change to communism. You know, the bad guy from Rocky IV.
0: And just like with climate change, the initial implications were uncertain. There was contention about how long the duration of the effect would be and how much the ozone layer would deteriorate. Similarly, the first intergovernmental panel on climate change report concluded that the world is warming, but the science was not clear on why. In 1977, a global action plan was adopted, calling for more monitoring of ozone and solar radiation research on ozone depletion, and a cost-benefit analysis on control measures.
1: Some early actions were made to reduce ozone depletion. The United States, Canada, and Norway banned the use of CFCs for aerosols. And again, in 1985, the Vienna Conference called for more research, but no actions. In
0: 1985, the research gap was filled. The National Ozone Expedition to Antarctica, led by Susan Solomon, collected key information about ozone. The findings were shocking. Not only were ozone-depleting substances breaking down atmospheric ozone, they were doing so more quickly than even Roland and Molina expected. And this is only 16 years before the third intergovernmental panel on climate change report, collected and presented the research, showing that climate change is happening and is caused by humans. The world could now be certain that the ozone layer was depleting and an environmental crisis was just around the corner.
1: You are listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. This week, we are talking about the ozone layer depletion, an environmental crisis that resulted in global mobilization and action. Did we solve the ozone depletion problem? And if so, could we solve the climate crisis too?
0: Where we left off, the science was settling on the reality of the ozone layer depletion. But knowing is just half the battle. The crucial question is what to do about
1: it. Global action quickly mobilized. Just two years after Solomon's research, the Montreal Protocol was adopted. This landmark treaty was adopted to protect the ozone layer, and the document is a triumph of environmental work. The Montreal Protocol is the only treaty to be adopted by every member in the United Nations.
0: The Montreal Protocol was more than just a plan to ban CFCs, but was a complex and grounded document. The treaty included a staggered phase-out schedule that acknowledges that all countries had different capacity and equitable considerations to their responsibilities. And supporting the equity lens of the document was the establishment of a multilateral fund to support countries that needed it.
1: Another key piece of the Montreal Protocol is monitoring, which helps target CFC emission sources. In 2010, The Environmental Investigation Agency realized that there were undisclosed CFC emissions in Asia. They narrowed the source to a factory in China. After reporting this information to the Chinese government, the factory was quickly shut down. So what happened after Montreal? Well, there was a large reduction in the production and consumption of CFCs. The reduction was driven both by the Montreal targets and consumer boycotts driven by concern about the environmental harm of CFCs.
0: One of the key drivers of CFC reduction were that some CFCs were replaced by a different chemical. Hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs, as well as hydrochlorofluorocarbons, HCFCs. These chemicals did not share the same ozone depleting ability as CFCs, but had similar commercial and industrial applications.
1: Some scientists predict that the Montreal Protocol may have prevented up to 2 million cases of skin cancer and millions of cataracts.
0: So, did we save the ozone? Even though CFC production has slowed, the chlorine atoms still in the atmosphere continue to cause ozone depletion. These chemicals have a long lifespan.
1: In Canada, the ozone has thinned by 7% relative to the 1980s, and the big ozone hole in Antarctica is still present.
0: But on the optimistic side, recent studies show that the ozone layer will return to pre-1980 levels by 2050.
1: So, mission complete. Kind of, a little bit, eventually.
0: So, how do we do it? International collaboration, listening to the science, consumer boycotts, and technical innovation.
1: A plan for success.
0: So, could we use the same plan for the climate
1: crisis? While the climate crisis and ozone layer crisis share many similarities, there are a few key differences to our responses.
0: Both the ozone crisis and climate crisis started with research, uncovering the issues, and in both cases, there was significant scientific skepticism and calls for more research. Both instances also saw denial from industry.
1: And in both cases, Once the science was more settled, there were big collaborative pushes to protect the ozone layer. And here's where we can see the critical disparities in the response to environmental action.
0: One of the big ones is the political nature of the response. The reason the Montreal Protocol was so impressive and so impactful was the unilateral support of the effort. Every single United Nations country from across the globe, and representing many different types of governments and cultures, signed on to address this crisis. In the United States, the Senate ratified the protocol unanimously. In the United Kingdom, the Montreal Protocol was supported by the famously anti-regulation Margaret Thatcher. Canada was one of the first countries to ratify the protocol.
1: But climate action effort has been distinctly more political and partisan. Both the need for and the amount of climate action is a hotly contested topic globally. International efforts, like the Kyoto Protocol, were not as successful at getting universal support, with major carbon emitters like the United States not ratifying the treaty and Canada pulling out of our requirements.
0: The Montreal Protocol was ratified just over a decade after Roland and Molina's controversial research, which was debated not only by deniers, but within the scientific community. Meanwhile, the scientific certainty for the need to act on climate change has been well known for at least two decades, with actions still being controversial. While the current Paris Agreement covers the majority of emissions globally, it can't boast the universal claim that Montreal can. Plus, also came with the challenge of the United States pulling out and then later re-entering, a major blow to collaborative efforts of the time.
1: Division on the issue also emerged among the public, which remains a challenge for political support for climate action. In Canada, only 69% of people believe that there is solid or concrete evidence of climate change.
0: Without the same kind of cross the divide political support that the ozone issue received, climate action is challenged by inconsistent and uncertain policies and actions.
1: Another critical challenge to the comparisons of the response to the ozone layer crisis and the climate crisis is the availability of replacements.
0: By the time the ozone layer depletion actions were underway, there were chemical replacements for CFCs, providing a clear way forward for companies to transition to ozone-friendly products. For example, DuPont, who owns the patent to Freon, A CFC used for a variety of uses publicly condemned CFCs and claimed that their HCFCs could replace CFCs and meet the demand for refrigerants in the short term, while HFCs could be a long term solution as they have no ozone depletion effect.
1: But these replacements are more challenging for carbon emissions due to the substantial number of carbon emission sources. Energy, buildings, transportation all use fossil fuels and while alternatives are possible, they are not as readily available as replacing CFCs. Creating carbon neutral energy systems is costly and for many years, renewables were expensive and challenged by intermittency.
0: For buildings, net zero designs took a while to be piloted and proven while retrofitting the existing building stocks is an enormous challenge. In North America and many other communities around the world, cities and settlements were designed around cars and personal automobile travel, challenging our ability to simply phase out cars in favor of walking, biking, and transit. And while electric vehicles are increasingly viable and attractive, Their carbon footprint is dependent on the energy supply within a jurisdiction.
1: Beyond the burning of fossil fuels, agricultural food production produces a large source of emissions, while deforestation affects our carbon sinks. Industrial processes like mineral transformation create emissions, often without an immediate replacement technology. Consumers who were concerned about CFCs also had easy replacements to the products that they used, like cost-effective, non-spray, hair products, and deodorants. This supported consumer efforts to boycott CFCs.
0: But for the climate crisis, boycotting all carbon-emitting processes can be a lot more challenging. Sure, there may be small wins from turning off your lights when you don't need them, or walking instead of driving to the corner store. But replacing all carbon uses can be more challenging. People may not have the choice to use renewable energy or non-carbon heating systems. Installing renewable technologies can be too much of an upfront cost to many. In certain locations, it can be prohibitively challenging to not have a car due to the infrastructure of a city.
1: The climate crisis is complex and multifaceted, far more so than the replacement of CFCs with alternative technologies. While some replacement technologies are available, for many years, cost-effectiveness and availability were challenges to deployment. This makes it harder to ban carbon emissions, both at a policy and a personal level.
0: But there is also a larger issue with simply relying on technical solutions to environmental issues. The Montreal Protocol was actually a very strong climate policy, though climate was not the main consideration. CFCs are incredibly potent greenhouse gases, and banning them had a huge impact on reducing climate change. But unfortunately, the HFCs that replace CFCs in many cases may not have had the same ozone depletion effect, but still have a highly potent greenhouse effect.
1: Luckily, the long-term design of the Montreal Protocol can help address this challenge. The Kigali Amendment will aim to target the release of HFCs. However, the document, like other climate efforts, has not received unanimous ratification like Montreal. But
0: this issue may reflect a common challenge to relying on technological solutions, to some climate actions that simply aim to replace carbon-intensive methods. Could the electrification of systems cause other environmental issues, like from mining lithium to install batteries? Could cloud seeding create bigger environmental challenges? The answers aren't as clear as we might expect, as seen from our ozone layer response. To make meaningful changes, we need societal and behavioral changes towards more climate friendly lifestyles and ways of governance. While the ozone layer is often triumphed as a success of collaborative environmental action on the global scale, in many ways, it's also a deferral of one environmental crisis to another, from ozone layer depletion to climate. And without a simple replacement for the many sources of greenhouse gas emissions, the climate crisis is already having devastating effects on humans and non-humans on the planet that will continue to accelerate.
1: So we may have saved the ozone layer, and while there are many parallels between the ozone layer depletion and the climate crisis, The challenge ahead of us is, in many ways, different and more complex.
0: But there is one key learning from the response to the depletion of the ozone layer. To deal with the immense challenge of the climate crisis, we need to work together. Climate action cannot be polarized or political. We all share this planet, and we all need to work together to a common goal, of reducing the risk of climate change.
1: It might not be the same method or tools, but if we came together to stop the depletion of the ozone layer, maybe, just maybe, we could save the climate too.
0: That's all the time we have for this week. We've been your hosts, Sonic Patel.
1: And Hannah Cunningham. Thanks for listening.
0: Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. And all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. This episode was written by myself, Sonic Patel. Our producer is Hannah Cunningham. You can reach us for comments or questions via email, terra at cjsr.com or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Terra Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. We'll catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa.